This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want to speak to you this morning on something that I've titled The Flesh. Oh, sorry. No, I'm not t- it's not called that. It's a lie. Just wanted to see if you're paying attention. The Spirit gives life. Flesh profits nothing. The Spirit gives life. Flesh profits nothing. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 1, verses 20, from verse 26. And so I thought this was a great way to kind of like a prelude, a lead into December, because we're heading into Christmas, and who doesn't like Christmas? Only Scrooges. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that holy one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Hmm. So, I think there's so much that you can get out of this little reading, this little passage, and there's so much, and I just want to get a few little things out of here, and I'm going to kind of like get the ball rolling with these things, um, and then we'll, we'll go a little bit deeper with that. I think what's important about this is to realize the significance of the timing of what's happening right now. It's interesting because at this time, what's happening is everything that had been prophesied in the Old Testament, it's about to take conception. Jesus is about to be conceived. The Savior is about to be conceived. The Messiah is about to conceive. This is what the whole story is all about. It's talking about a transition from going from an old covenant to a new covenant, from going from one paradigm where people were dealing with God into a whole new paradigm of how they were going to engage and live with God. So things are changing and transitions are changing. And so there are templates here that are really important for us because if we get a grasp of what is actually happening here, I believe that what God's saying to us is, I I want you to take that and adopt that template for the way that you engage with me. There's some things, there are, there are three points that I really want to get out of the story. And the first point is this. It's interesting that the angel, when he arrives, the angel says to me, as if he didn't say anything to me because I wasn't there. The angel says to Mary, Mary, highly favored of God, highly favored of God, highly favored of God, and blessed highly favored of God and blessed why was she favored because God was with her God is with her I've got some wonderful news for you this morning if you are born again God is with you and if God is with you you can sit and say I'm highly favored 
I'm highly favored. You're not highly favored because of anything that you've done. You're highly favored because God is with you. And when God is with you, it means that God invites us to partner with him and to live a life in relationship with him. We are highly favored because we're with him. When we begin to have a revelation and an understanding of what it means to be highly favored of God, it means it'll change our disposition and our attitude to the way that we walk through life. Do we live in the expectation of favor? Do you look for favor with regularity? Not because you're so special because of who you are. He loves you because of who you are, but because I have God on the inside of me. I, God is with me. What are my expectations? And are my ex- expectations in life born from a result of realizing that God is with me? The thing about it is part of what highly favored really means is that you're going to walk into blessing. Highly favored of God, therefore blessed. Therefore blessed. The problem is very often so many Christians don't walk into the blessing that God has for them. And so we end up in, a, in an interesting situation because we, we have this idea that because I walked into a relationship with God, that God is there and God wants to bless me, that God has favor for me. But there seems to be an incongruence between the way that I walk through life. And what I want to talk about today is how we actually f- fix that divide. Because God is a way where he wants to meet us, where God's favor and God's grace is going to to intersect with who we are. And as a result of that, we're going to walk into the blessing that he has for us. But it's important for you to know, first and foremost, that I live in favor. I live in favor. You should confess that every morning when you get out of bed. I want to thank you, Father, that I'm favored because I go through this day with you. And I thank you as a result of that. I live in the expectation of blessing. Where is the blessing in my life? Where is the blessing in my life? So that's the first thing that I need for you to understand. It's, it's really important. The second thing that's really important is this. When the angel Gabriel arrived, the angel Gabriel was on a mission. And the, 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 the mission and the goal that Gabriel was there to do was for her to conceive life. That was his mission. God said, this is your goal. Go and get her pregnant. That's what you need to do. She needs to conceive life. The thing is, the angel Gabriel didn't arrive and sit and say, I just want to give you a monologue and a dissertation. And I want to tell you about how things are going to change and where the history has been and what things. What did he say to her? He said to you, favored, you're going to be blessed. This is what's going to happen. You're going to conceive. You're going to conceive. You're going to conceive life. And the reason that he talks about the conception of life is because whatever you conceive, you're going to give birth to. And what you give birth to, you're going to live with in your future. The, the thing about it is he speaks to Mary and he says, what's so wonderful about this, Mary, is that you're favored and you're blessed. And as a result of that blessing, God wants you to realize the fullness of what that blessing is. And the way that he's going to do that is you have to conceive life on the inside of you. Because when you conceive that life on the inside of you, you're going to give birth to, and then he goes into, this is what your future is going to look like, a son. And he's going to be the savior and he's going to be called Christ the Lord. And this is what he's going to do. He starts speaking to Mary about what her future is going to look like as a result of having given birth to the blessing. She speaks to him to her about her life. God wants to bless us. God lives in the expectation of us realizing and walking into the fullness of everything that he has for us. I want to have a look at um, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Let me find it. I'm going to read it out of the New Living. It says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for life, for living and a godly life. 
By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Say, I have everything I need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of a marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. Say, he's given me great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable me to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. God wants to do something in your life and the way that he's going to do it is he wants to come to you and he's going to present to you precious promises. He's going to present to you what it is that he wants for you to conceive. Conception is fundamental in the kingdom of God. What's so important about what what the angel was doing was this. It gives us an idea as to what the focus of God's attention is. It's not about you understanding or you grabbing a hold of the meaning of the word. If you get there and you, you, you kind of entrench yourself in that place, you've missed the point of it. The point of it is to give you a grid and to give you a perspective on what God is looking for. But ultimately, God is here to give you life. The focus of conception is life. The thing about it is God is interested in your heart, not your head. What ends up happening is we take the things of God, we take the promises of God, and we take the word of God, and what ends up happening is we take them to our head, and God say, I'm looking for you to put them into your heart. You don't conceive in your head, you conceive in your heart. Anytime we take it to our head, what ends up happening is I start milling it around and looking at it and exploring it and checking it out and doing everything I need to do with it. The problem with it is until you plant it, you never receive life. It never conceives. It never conceives. He wants it to go into our heart. The challenge with it is when it goes into our head, we never conceive life. The problem is this, unless we conceive life, we don't have a baby. And too many Christians live with an abstraction. I don't have a baby living on the inside of me. I've never conceived life on the inside of me. There's not something that is put in the inside of me by God that's living and vibrant, that's dynamic. I don't have something supernatural that's growing on the inside of me. What I have is an abstraction, a concept, an idea of what God is all about. But it can't sustain me. Here's the interesting point. This is so important for us to understand. God uses conception to take spiritual truths and realities and inject them with life so that we can experience them in the natural. When the, when the angel came and spoke to Mary, what, what did he say to Mary? He said, Mary, I'm giving you my word. Well, what's going to happen is the word is not sufficient. The, spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And as a result of that, you're going to conceive. Mary conceived from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is spiritual. What she conceived on the inside of her was both natural and spiritual. And she gave birth to Jesus who had the nature of God on the inside of him because he was conceived of the Spirit. She gave birth to something that was natural and spiritual. The Holy Spirit wants to work in our life and the way that he's going to work is he's going to take the concepts of God, the truths of God, and what he wants to do is put them into our life so that we can, see, we can conceive them. Because when we conceive them and they grow up and we give birth to them, what happens is they become an experiential reality in my life. It's not an idea living in my head. How is he going to do this? He starts talking and he's, and I think what's really important is to understand the fact that he's going to use the word and the life in the word and the power of the spirit. 
the life of the word and the power of the spirit. When we talk about the word, the Bible with regularity compares the word of God to a seed. Um, you know, it's, um, the word of God is as seed thrown onto the different soils. Um, the kingdom of God is as a farmer goes out and plants seed. Why is it important? Because the thing about it is that the word of God has two components to it. It has a shell, which is the outer side, but it has a principle, a life principle on the inside of it. The thing is, we can take a seed and you can have a look at a seed and you can review it and you can do an analysis of it and you can compare it and you can talk about it and you can sit and say, well, these seeds are little seeds and these seeds are big seeds and these things have a different color and these seeds work. And you can compare all the seeds. It doesn't matter what you do with the seeds and how much you look at them and how much you compare them. The fact of the matter is you never get the reality and the truth of what the seed was designed to do as long as you're looking at it and scrutinizing it. The seed only delivers what it's supposed to do when you plant it in the sand. When you put it in the soil, because when you plant it in the soil, what ends up happening is it generates life. It germinates and life begins to grow. Life begins to happen. The seed was always designed to be planted. The word of God is the same way. Very often what ends up happening is we want to take the word of God and we want to interpret the word of God. There is a side to us that believes that if we kind of do a deep exploration of the word, we'll realize the life that's in the word. I'm not against studying the word. I'm a big proponent of it. What I am against is this. If, we all, if all we ever do is study the word and we allow that to go to our head, we're going to miss the life that's in the seed because conception takes place down here. So I have to find the ability to be able to take the seed of the word of God and plant it in soil, be able to plant it in my life, because unless I conceive of it, it really doesn't do me any good. I have to be able to get that on the inside of me. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us by his spirit. God has revealed them to us by his spirit. There is one phrase that I want to kind of use, and I'll use it a number of times throughout this morning. And it's not because I ran out of words, but because I want to just make sure that I use it and reinforce it in different contexts. The spirit gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The spirit gives life, the flesh profits nothing. What it's saying is this. In the first context is anytime we try to engage the things of God to the exclusion of the spirit of God, we'll never realize what God has available for us. I has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Anytime I want to engage life, I want to engage the world, I even want to engage the, the, the word of God without the spirit of God, what ends up happening is I'm never going to be able to realize what God's plan is and what, what God's purposes are for me, how God wants to bless me, how God wants to give me his word, how God wants to prosper me, how God wants to give me promises, how God wants to give me life to introduce me to a new way of living. I can't grab hold of those things. So what it's saying is it's, it's painting a very clear delineation between spirit and me, between what I'm capable of doing and what the spirit is capable of doing. And the invitation is always dependence on the spirit. But God has revealed them to us by his spirit. God has revealed them to us by his spirit. The spirit becomes important because the spirit is the one that introduces the power to make things happen. And one of the things that he's going to do is he's going to use something called revelation. 
Revelation. I always used to think about Revelation in the context that Revelation was all about gaining a deeper understanding of what the word is all about. Revelation is all about gaining those deeper insights. Revelation is always about going to places where you try and uh, d- decipher the meaning of what's really taking place in those, those things. But actually, I don't believe that that's what Revelation is. When you look at Revelation in the original Hebrew, what it means is this. It means to lift the veil on something so that you can see it. To lift the veil on something so that you can see it. The thing is, we can take the seed of the word of God and you can try to understand the word of God and you can try to gain the meaning of the word of God. I think what very often happens, and it happened for me for a long time, was this. As Christians, we we have this idea that if I can really understand the meaning of what God's trying to say in this particular verse, it'll release the life that's in that. So we explore it and we do all kinds of exploration and cross-references and, well, I did anyway, to try and find, because if I can really grasp the fundamental meaning, if I can get the insight, what it means is I finally got to that place and because I really realized what it's all about, the life will manifest itself, but it's not what it's saying. What it's saying is meaning is never going to get you anywhere because the flesh wants to do that, but the flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that gives life. So there is a place where I have to realize it's not up to me to try and find the meaning. It's up to me to get dependent on the spirit to be able to take that seed and to introduce me to revelation. What does it mean? The spirit is going to take the seed and the seed is going to take and he's going to plant it on the inside of us. And what he's going to do is he's going to take that hard shell and he's going to break it open so that you can see what's on the inside. Because when he breaks the hard shell open, the life principle on the inside germinates. And the life principle on the inside begins to take root. And the life principle on the inside begins to grow. And all of a sudden, I can see some stuff, not because I have an understanding of it, because it's alive on the inside of me. It becomes so important for us to begin to realize the importance and the significance of developing our spiritual senses. We don't only have natural senses, we have spiritual senses. And it's important for us to develop that because I can see with the eye of faith and I can see some things happening on the inside of me that I'm not going to be able to appreciate unless I have spiritual senses. It's so important because the thing is, I can't go places with God if I can't see where I'm going. And I'm never going to get there unless I have the belief to be able to sustain me. So what he does in my life becomes so consequential and becomes so important. Let me give you a practical example of what I'm talking about. So we have a a challenge with one of our children because, well, the children, the child's not the challenge, but they're going through some stuff in their life. They're going through some challenges in their life because they're looking for something and, and, and they, have a, a, they have goals and ambitions in certain areas. And yet it doesn't look as though life is opening up the way that it should. And everything seems to be a season of challenge. Everything seems to be fighting against you. Everything seems to be formidable. It's full of obstacles and hurdles and things aren't easy. And it's been a tough time. And in the midst of tough times, you know what happens? You begin to doubt and you begin to look and you begin to question and you end up in a very uncomfortable place and the first thing we want to do when we're in that space is we need somebody who can empathize with me we want somebody to relate to me we want somebody to be able we want a shoulder to cry on 
I'm not against a shoulder to cry on. I'm all about a shoulder to cry on. But you know what? After you've been crying on a shoulder for a period of time, you know what ends up happening? You recognize, I feel a little bit better because I've got somebody who can relate to me. I feel slightly better because I've been able to have a cathartic moment and I was, be, be able to, I was able to express some of the emotion that's on the inside of me. But I still have nothing to take me into my future. And we had to sit down with them and we had to talk with them. And the funny thing about it is God gave me some scriptures for them. But one of the scriptures that he gave me for them was this. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Why? Because if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. It's not about the words. The words mean nothing. You could give me any kind of gibberish. The words mean nothing unless you're able to take them and able to plant them on the inside of your heart because there are things happening in your heart right at the moment. There's some challenges happening in your heart. There's some questions and doubts happening in your heart. There are all kinds of things roaming around on the inside of you and I can't fix that stuff. And you being able to understand what's happening there is not gonna be able to fix what's happening in your heart because your understanding is of the head but your doubts are of the heart. I need to be able to take something of him. I need to be able to take a promise and a truth. And I need to be able to put it on the inside of me and put it there in a way so that it can germinate, so that it can get rooted, so that it can begin to take life. Because when it takes life on the inside of me, I've got something to hold on to that says I'm going to give you a hope in the future. Life is all what God's wanting to put on the inside of you. Not some ideas about life, not a formula about how you should living, but he's wanting to impart something of himself into who you are so that I have something to hold on to, something to grab onto, something that I can rely on, something that's going to give me a hope and a future. I need life. Concepts are not sustainable. John 10, 10, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. He's so simple, so profound. I didn't come and give you a grid for how you to live life. I came to gift you. I came to gift you. I came to gift you. I came to give you something you could get. Ephesians 2, verse 8. By grace, we are saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God. There are some things that you cannot do by yourself. You can't get rid of the doubt that's on the inside of you. You can't get rid of the turmoil on the inside of you. You can't get rid of the questioning on the inside of you that doesn't know what your future is going to look like. I can't do those things because when I look at myself in the natural, when I look at my abilities, when I look at my talents, when I look at the realities of what's facing me, when I look at the hurdles, when I look at the obstacles, what ends up happening is I lean to my own understanding, not by flesh. The spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Get out of the flesh. Get out of the flesh and get into the spirit. Because the spirit's going to do some stuff in your life that you're not capable of doing. That's why the God life is the good life. That's why the God life is all about overcoming and victory. It's because God says, I can give you something. I can gift you life. It's not just eternal life. It's life in abundance.
life in abundance. He's going to give you a gift that you're not capable of getting by yourself. Life. Nicodemus recognized life. And Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, goes to Jesus and he's talking to Jesus. And he says, there's something about you. It's not just because you call yourself savior. It's not just because of the things you say. But I look at you and I see your life. And your life is evidence of the fact that you're a person who's favored. Because you're blessed in all that you do. Everything you put your hands to prospers. Things happen when you arrive. Talk to me about it. I want what you've got. That's what Nicodemus was saying to him. And Jesus begins to speak to Nicodemus. And it goes right over Nicodemus' head. But you know what he begins to speak to him about? He begins to speak to him about life. Life. And what he's saying to Nicodemus is this. He starts off by saying, unless a man get born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. he's introducing Nicodemus to a truth that completely, completely missed Nicodemus. Here's the truth. There has to be life in the soil and life in the word. And when the life in the word and the life in the soil come together, things happen. He starts off and he says, unless a man get born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the soil. He's talking about your heart. What he's saying is, unless you get born again, what ends up happening is that you have infertile soil. It's infertile. It doesn't matter if the seed drops there. It's never going to germinate because there's no life in the soil. Unless you get born again, unless you have the spirit of God and the nature of God come and redefine who you are and you become a brand new creation in Christ. What ends up happening in that place is I become a son of God. I become a daughter of God. Why? Because I'm born of him. I'm born of his nature. And not only am I born of his nature, you know what ends up happening? The spirit of God comes and dwells in that place. So now I'm not just born of his nature, but I have the spirit of God living on the inside of me. I am fertile soil. But it's not enough. Fertile soil is great, but fertile soil will leave you looking at the kingdom. But it doesn't say you'll enter. If you follow the story, he goes on a little bit further. And a little bit later, he says, unless a man get born of the water and born of the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom. There's a big difference between seeing the kingdom and entering the kingdom. Too many Christians can see the kingdom, but they don't enter. We spend our lives talking about the kingdom and God's promises and God's will. And we start talking about bringing heaven to earth. And we're talking about God's kingdom. All true. But unless you're born of the water and born of the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is he saying? The soil is important because you've got to have the spirit on the inside of you because it creates fertile soil. But it's not enough. It's only half of the equation. When he talks about the water and the spirit, water is used as an analogy in scripture for the word of God, the seed of God. What he's saying is this, unless you get born of the seed of God and the spirit of God, unless you get the word of God, which is full of the life of God, 
and you take that seed and you put that life in fertile soil, suddenly when life in the seed meets life in the soil, bang, germination happens. And when germination happens, the root begins to grow. And all of a sudden it starts to move on the inside of me and things start to happen in that space. But I've got to have both of them. John 6, 63, the spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, the words that I speak to you are what? Spirit and life. Spirit and life. Every time you get the word of God, what you're receiving inside of that shell, on the, heart, on the outside, that thing that you want to look at and examine and explore and find meaning in, on the inside of that is spirit and life. And when you allow spirit and life that's in the seed to come and meet spirit and life that's in the soil, all of a sudden, life happens. Germination takes place. And when germination takes place, it begins to grow and get rooted on the inside of you. It's the most dangerous time. It's the most dangerous time. I'll tell you why. Because leading up to that moment, I find myself engaged with the Spirit. I find myself immersing myself in delight yourself in the Lord. And He will give me the desires of my heart. And I think about those things and I meditate on that verse and I consider that verse and I go to sleep and I think about what does it mean to delight myself in the Lord. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you that as I get move into that place, I want to thank you that you birth on the inside of me the life of what it means for him to give me the desires of my heart. I'm living in that place. I'm active in that place. I'm doing things in that place. I'm meditating on the word of God. Why? Because I'm waiting for that conception to take place. I'm active. But once conception takes place, things are quiet. The moment a woman conceives, there is life on the inside of her. And that life is growing. And she's not aware of it. She just knows it because pregnancy and the doctor told her. But she doesn't know it. She hasn't seen it. Nobody else does. Why? Because nothing's happened just yet. It's growing outside of the access to my senses. And because I can't see it and because I can't realize it because I don't know what's going on in that space, it's the most uncomfortable place. It's like when a farmer goes and he takes the seed and he sows the seed in the belief that the seed is going to germinate and grow. But once the seed has been sown, you know what happens? Nothing. It's quiet. It's quiet. Why? Because I'm waiting for conception. I'm waiting for it to germinate. I'm waiting for the root to grow. I'm waiting. And until I first see the blade, it's the hardest time. Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth when you're waiting. Don't speak against your seed. What should you say? I thank you, Father, for delighting myself in the Lord. And I want to thank you 
that he gives me the the desires of my heart. And Father, I want to thank you that I accept that and and I live by faith in that place. I live by belief in that place. You promised me that. I may not be able to see it just yet, but I want to thank you that your word will never return to your void. What am I doing? I'm leaving myself in a place where I'm fertilizing and I'm nurturing and I'm sunning and I'm watering the seed. Why? Because there's going to come a time when the blade shoots up. And when the blade shoots up, all of a sudden, something happens on the inside of me. There's something that's ignited on the inside of me because all of a sudden, it's taken root and I can feel it. Life is reality. And life is felt. It's so interesting because when God speaks to us, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. When God, when, when God speaks to you, what he's doing is he's gifting you something from him. Faith is not of me. Faith is of God. He's gifting me something. What he's saying is I'm going to take this promise and I'm giving it to you. And I want you to conceive of it. But when that faith is planted, that faith fulfills its purpose the moment it germinates. That's its purpose, it's germination. The, pre- the purpose of faith is to germinate and begin to root and begin to grow on the inside of you. Why? Because when it moves into that space, all of a sudden what I find is beliefs that are of me become flooded by the faith which is of God. And when his faith defines my belief, I step into a place called trust. Trust is faith flying with full flag. Trust is when I, God's, God's faith and my belief are married to one another. And it doesn't matter what you do. I'm aware of the life that's on the inside of me. The life that's on the inside is dynamic and it's living. It's vital and it's powerful. Like love. It's something that you feel, but it's more than a feeling. But it's something that you feel. To say that I love you and not feel it is impossible. To say that I trust without feeling it is impossible. Yes, it's deeper, and yes, it's far more meaningful because it's about a conviction, not just a feeling. It's something which is a conviction deep on the inside of me, but an unfelt conviction is a misnomer. It's a contradiction in terms. How can I have a conviction about something and I never feel it? I feel the life that's on the inside of me. It is there. It is not about a, an abstract um, a, a, a submission to some facts. It's not about an acquiescence to a whole bunch of information. It's about embracing a gift of God. A gift of God. It's about a divine energy planted inside of me by the Spirit and the Word. It's the way that I'm able to grasp and grab a hold of something which is supernatural and I'm able to integrate it into my being. And it's so alive and it's so vibrant and it's so living and it's so real on the inside of me that you're not going to take it away. That's what sustains somebody like Abraham for 20 years. You think nine months is a long time waiting for a baby. 20 years, 20 years. What sustained him? I've got the life on the inside of me. I don't know when it's coming. I don't know how it's going to come. I don't know what it's going to I don't know anything, but I know it's coming. Why? Because it's alive. 
God wants to introduce life into you. And when we have that life, it's so strong, it's so compelling, it's so convincing, it's so powerful, it's so dynamic. You can't convince me that it's not real. He wants to give you life. He wants to give you life, not information. Life will take you places. Meaning will never get you. He wants to give you life. Let me touch on this quickly. Mark chapter 11, verse 23. For assuredly, I say to you. He's talking to you. Are you a you? Assuredly, I say to Rafa, put your name in there. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Trust as a condition to effective prayer, like Jesus is teaching here, is dependent on without doubting. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're facing something pretty formidable, have you tried to get rid of doubt? The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You know why I end up double-minded? Because I'm trying to do things of the flesh that I, I'm not dependent on the spirit for. Anytime I try to do it of my own accord, I believe that if I can get the meaning, if I can convince myself what will end up happening is I'll put myself in a place where it'll become a substitute for life. And God's saying, it doesn't work that way. Either the life is born on the inside of you or not. And so God is far more interested in our heart than our head because things like doubt live down here. That's why the Holy Spirit wants to meet us down here. That's why the soil that God has prepared for us is the soil of the heart because when he takes his word, which is full of the seed, which is the seed full of life, and he puts them into fertile soil, ends up, things end up germinating. And when they germinate and when they grow, it's a funny thing. But one of the first things to go is doubt. Here's the big revelation. The reason I believe so many Christians struggle to realize the benefits of Christianity, to walk into what it means to live a life of favor and blessing, is because they keep the seed separated from the soil. We live with ideas in our head rather than taking it and becoming dependent on the Spirit to engraft it and plant it into the soil of our heart. But unless we put it into that place, we don't move to a place where, we move, where we're able to move mountains. Mountains is a metaphor speaking about the challenges in your life. There are things that God wants to do in your life. This is such a revelation. He's so good. You know what he says? I love you so much that I'm going to do it all. Keep your hands off. <laughs> you know what he means when he says he's so much, he's so much more eloquent than we are. <laughs> and he presents stuff in such a, a more digestible way. 
You see, he's so kind. He says, unless you become like a little child. <laughs> what he's really saying is this. Get to the place where you recognize that you can't do it and just let me do it. Come on. In essence, that's what he's saying. We think we're so capable because we're so knowledgeable and we're so educated and we move into places that we should never be. So in the week ahead, what I want you to encourage, blah, 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 what I want to encourage you to do is this. Recognize the spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Anytime you see yourself getting your hands on it, stop. The flesh, the flesh profits nothing. It doesn't mean you don't go and get into the word of God. You do get into the word of God. But what you do is you don't get into the word of God without the spirit of God. Anything you do to the exclusion of the spirit is going to introduce you to something religious. Why? Because the spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Anytime you do something without life, you're going to end up with form and no life. The spirit. I can't imagine a church that doesn't believe in spirit. <laughs> it's kind of like saying, you know what? We'll take the word of God and we'll discover doctrine. We'll develop a theology, but we really don't need life. I don't know. Anyway. I don't know. Okay, can I just say one thing? <laughs> just because, no, it's, this is just cathartic for me. <laughs> no, it's actually sad for me. But it's just, you know, it's, I, I find, okay, maybe, let, let me put it this way. Here's a word of encouragement <laughs> to, for you to consider. Because sometimes people are well motivated. Like I've had some people who, like, you know, we, we feel as though we, we want to leave the church because what we're going to do is we're going to go with my husband or my wife or whatever to church. And it's like, okay, I get that and I understand the motivation behind it. And I'm certainly not criticizing it, but I'm concerned about it because the problem with it is some of the places that they're going is there's no life. And I'm like, what's the point of going there without life? Because you know what? Not only is your partner as dead as can be, they're not going to find life there. But the problem is the life that you've got on the inside of you is going to die in that place. If you're going to a place that's got life, I'm all for it. Go for it. All the best. But don't go to a place that's dead. Because both you and your partner will die. You can't go to a place where there's no life. Anyway. That's just because I'm a... A good pastor, and I'm looking out for your well-being. It's the spirit that wants to gift you. It's the spirit that wants to give you life. Meditate on the word day and night. Like a tree planted by streams of water, it yields its fruit in season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does prospereth. The pursuit of the Christian is life. The goal it's conception. Can we all stand? Heather, you come and pray because you're a woman of power. Who needs a microphone, Heather? Come on. That loud voice of yours. <laughs> all right. Well, Father, we just thank you for the power of your word that, that was released today. We thank you, Father, that our hearts are good soil, that they're receptors of your word and your truth. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that we don't walk out of here and it's done. 
Thank you, Holy Spirit, that we walk out of here and you continue the work. I thank you for the vibration of your word that just that encapsulated our hearts, that it just continues to work inside each one of us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for new revelation, fresh revelation, fresh insight that that we are growing, we are being nurtured by your word, and that there's just a, a growth and maturity that's happening in the hearts of everybody that comes here. We thank you, Father, that it's pulling in others who need to be here and to sit underneath the word of and the spiritual maturity of your word. So we thank you and we praise you, Father. We thank you for just a wonderful Thanksgiving season. We glorify you and thank you for who you are for everything that you've done in our lives, for what you've done, what is to come, and what is actually happening in the spirit realm in our lives right now. And we give you all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.